one thing i've noticed is most of them do not have any goals or uh, expectations from their lives when they are young this is yasmin fatima and welcome to chapters of my life podcast so what is chapters of my life podcast in fact when we look back in life often we we tell ourselves it's not worth sharing there's not a lot to talk about but i want you to imagine you need to write your life story in form of a book already. So what cover will you have? What table of content or what next planned chapters? So Chapters of My Life podcast is an inspiring collection of life transitions packed into a podcast audiobook format, capturing the willpower and belief of people drawing important life-changing decisions. And we will interview athletes, entrepreneurs, innovators, and idealists who give an insight into their past life from young age till today, but also future untold plans. And we cover topics all around entrepreneurship, sport, mindfulness, travel, nutrition, yoga, meditation, and so on and so on. Everything, literally, which lead to the person they are today. I had the pleasure to speak to Yasmin Fatima, founder of Foundation of Equal Citizenship, while she was here for a short stay in Dubai. I have worked with Yasmin last year, on a Pashmina scarf project at work to empower underprivileged workers in India. Every time I met her, I feel that energy to empower minorities and underprivileged people and give them a voice. Yasmin worked in Silicon Valley during the IT 2000 booming years at Intel, Visa, and EMC. A software engineer and project manager, but one area she couldn't let off is trying to bridge the gap between inequality in living conditions or even basic human rights. Social justice, to be honest, has always been a main focus area throughout her entire career, but also her own projects. With being, as she said, a nomad, she kept traveling between India and USA, between her career in Silicon Valley and building social justice while bridging the gap with low-income workers in India, as well as empowering young people to dream again. One theme kept repeating for all four chapters she chose. It's all about contrast. And that's, to my surprise, <laughs> it's not a wonder that she chose a book title called Contrast That Shape Me. In her book, she got four chapters with the first chapter starting called Being Minority, where she talks about her childhood in India and how it felt to be a minority. Uncertainties in life is her second chapter. She explains her life in India during the study years and her move to US. One moment which changed her life perspective during her early 20s is her car accident, which for her truly was a life turning point, in which she shares with us in this chapter. Chapter 3 is all about living in Silicon Valley, a California lifestyle matched with her work at Intervisa and EMC but also the struggles she experienced during the economic recession years around 2008 and the consequences, obviously, in Silicon Valley, which impacted her work. Next chapter got a question mark. It called social change question mark. It's about her move back to India to found her foundation of equal citizenship to empower youth to equip underprivileged young people and children in India with hard and soft skills to prepare them for the future. The next chapter of her life is called Global Citizenship, where she keeps working on empowering underprivileged people to go beyond borders 
social change and social innovation is significant throughout her work life in Silicon Valley and later on during her NGO work. All right, enough said, let's start the podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Here we go. Thanks, Yasmin, for taking the time. You're very welcome. Thank Thanks you. for inviting me. Thank you. Actually, I was I'm really impressed. Actually, you invited me to your sister's place. And as some of them see the pictures, um, the table is actually well decorated. Uh, <laughs> the support from your children's uh, sister's children, actually. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. yeah. So one of the things is re what I really like in this podcast is... Um, not just interviewing, but actually seeing a little bit an insight into where they live as well. Mm. So that's actually beautiful to see <laughs> in that house here in Dubai. You get an insight in. into the person's life. Kind of, right? yes, that's yeah. correct. Mm -hmm. So Yasmin, I, I mentioned that in the intro of this podcast, um, your background a little bit and what you have done so far. And we're going to dig deep a little bit into this. Uh, when we look into the chapters of your life, when we talk a little bit about your work as well mm -hmm. and all the projects, all the little projects you have worked on uh, so far. But I want to start with something which I found very interesting. And it's actually about a comment from someone mm -hmm. uh, you have worked with in the past. So... Um, You've been, uh, you've been known, so basically someone mentioned about you and said, Yasmin is an extremely hardworking, knowledgeable individual, one of those people who you can count on to be able to answer and execute on the questions no one seems to be able to answer. Mm. Yasmin, which questions you can't answer? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like you are the person who I can ask all kind of questions. Oh, you have always an answer, I, like a life coach. It's Yeah, uh, actually, I feel like I always have a lot of questions. Like I had a lot of questions uh, about why you want to do this podcast with me yeah. uh, or why you do podcasts. Uh, so there are a lot of, I think, questions that I cannot answer because I am questioning a lot all the time. <laughs> but uh, I think I, I know who this person is. And uh, she, it was a very complex project we were working on. And uh, yeah, she would often like, you know, c uh, come to me when she wouldn't be able to <laughs> get the answers. Uh, so, um, so I think the bottom line of it is maybe uh, I'm very committed to the projects that I'm involved in. So I think uh, what this comment says about me is that there might be, you know, aspects of a project in which I'm not supposed to be so involved in. But uh, once I'm into it, I kind of want to know, you oh, know, yeah. all the different uh, angles of it and... Uh, um, and yeah. all the details. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I met you the first time I met you. I remember very well. It was back in October 2016. Yeah. In mm -hmm. Dubai. Mm -hmm. Yes. Talking about social innovation. Yeah. So technically entrepreneurship, innovation, but also mixed with social entrepreneurship. Yeah. And we met also for purpose for like the uh, uh, Pashmina scarf project where we, you know, started to work with. Mm -hmm. And I realized that you 
were very interested in 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 social change in innovation yeah. etc and you had so much energy into in this in this conversation in the meeting we had mm -hmm. as well you know like, let's sit together i remember very well you mentioned let's sit together let's plan you know um, uh, let's draft a plan let's come up with like the next step mm. and it's the next follow-up meeting let's make it happen literally yeah. this attitude Let, like let's make it happen mm -mm. is that something because i just when i just mentioned about the comment before you know mm. you're also a person who people can ask you for everything literally someone who has the answer mm. would you see yourself as someone who is very goal-oriented or very like outcome oriented you know it's interesting that you asked that because i remember once uh, at emc we were all uh, asked to go through some uh, some workshop uh, in at the end of which they were gonna kind of uh, define us in certain ways you know um, and for me what came out it, there's a name to that particular test and I can't remember it but what came out in that was that I was very high in the quadrant which was for being very goal oriented and uh, getting uh, you know things things done I feel that uh, maybe when it comes to my professional life I'm like that um but but i'm also always trying to do more than just my you know my job my my professional uh, work and if i think from the other pr uh, projects perspective i may have a very broad goal but uh i don't think i'm like mm, that uh you know uh, goal oriented when it comes to you know, the other projects, which are not maybe the professional ones, but for social change. So you're looking way more into actually the, the impact, I would say, yes. impact in other yeah. people's lives. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, so yeah. less like on the outcome of the project, more like the outcome is defined on the impact yeah. Yeah. you change in, in other people's mm -hmm. lives. Yeah, yeah. So, mean so... I mentioned, as I mentioned before, uh, you know, you work in the past, you, you work in Silicon Valley, and I'm going to dig deeper in this in a, in a second. One of the aspects I was, was always fascinating, um, one thing which I found very fascinating over the last one and a half year I, I met you is your constant, and you just mentioned it even before the podcast, your constant eagerness to move. From one place to another and you mentioned even beforehand that you you know you can't find yourself a place you can call home or something where you can kind of settle yeah i know you you have worked in the us you have worked in india you come to dubai as well yes. and these places are not like next door they are literally around the world yeah uh, opposite and what do you think is what is the reason for it that you feel like, you know, you work there, you can't decide, you can't settle down. Is there something, uh, is that something you say that has yes. an origin? I think from? so. And I think maybe if we delve into, um, deeper into my life, I think some reasons for that may emerge. Uh, but one thing, one, I think, reason for that is that uh, <laughs> I'm very restless. 
and uh, that's maybe a reason why I've uh, done many different kinds of things in my life you know and uh, this is a question a lot of people ask me uh, why, why aren't you able to stick to say you know what I was doing 20 years ago I'm doing something completely different now and this is a question a lot of uh, people have asked me and uh, when people ask me, I, I think about it. I don't regret uh, having, you know, changed my path because I think there is some some restlessness in in me, and there's also this uh, this great, uh, you know, desire to see the world. You know, uh, the physical beauty as well as the people, the culture. I think that that is one of the things that really like drives me. So, you know, I would love to just keep traveling. There is a negative to it, which is what I was saying to you, you know, uh, earlier about not feeling any place as home, especially right now, because uh, I, I really don't have a place of my own. I've just been living with, uh, you know, my, my sister, uh, my sisters, you know, all, all over. Uh, but in some way, I kind of like that. So I, sometimes I feel like I have some strains of uh, uh, being a nomad in, in some way, you know, and uh, being very kind of free. How would you define home? Because I just keep thinking about this mm. TED talk. I forgot the, the speaker actually would define like we, we don't necessarily need a home or a home can be redefined. It doesn't have to yeah. be a physical place. Would you say you still have a home, but maybe not defined in form of a physical place, yeah. a city or something? That's true. Um, a home doesn't have to be a physical place, but I, but I do think, at least when I think of home, it should be a place where you feel, feel at peace, feel uh, kind of, you know, um, that there's some sanctity to that place where you are it doesn't have to be a physical you know one place uh, all your life kind of a thing but definitely a, a space where you just you know feel very uh, very safe very at peace uh, and that I feel like I wouldn't say that I'm always at peace so there is like I said earlier there is always some restlessness Yes. So, and that is why I keep wondering whether I've found my my home. Yeah, it's you interesting know? that you mentioned that because I can I can totally relate to you. I'm mm -hmm. also like, as you know, traveling from one place to yeah. another and I keep fighting with myself. Should I settle down somewhere? Should I? And I also keep thinking about what is the definition of home for me? Mm. And I came to the point... I'm thinking of came to the point that home is not a, a location, a destination. Mm. For me, it's home where my friends and family mm. are. And that actually leads to what you mentioned about feeling peace within yourself, mm. feeling secure. Because that's not necessarily is dependent on the location. It's actually dependent on who you have there, yeah. friends and family. Yeah. And one of the side effects when you have friends around the world, your home is pretty much everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's like you have a little bit home there. You have a little bit home mm -hmm. on, on one part of the world. You have a little mm -hmm. bit home over there. And maybe this is a, is a new definition nowadays because with, with the globalization or with friends around the world, yeah. 
maybe it's 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 gone the times where we say okay this is the place where we feel home mm-hmm. yes a place where we maybe you've grown up and you yeah. have more but also you feel comfortable we have friends around yes. the world and you can even stay there for a longer time period mm-hmm. yeah yeah way too and uh i think i've been very lucky from that perspective because i have a very very uh um close-knit family that i can kind of you know really rely back on any time and that is why i can have so many homes you know when i'm in india i live at my mother's apartment right uh, so that's that's home when i'm there i feel like this is home but like you said um, home is also where you have your relatives and friends and some of these places i travel to i don't really um, you know have a lot of friends and family and so for some time that home is a home but then i start thinking about uh, about the people i uh, want to be close to and so then i want to move <laughs> from there yeah. you know so um so yeah but you're right in today's uh, world there are a lot of people who are just kind of traveling um and working remotely you know so for many people i think home is not no longer that uh, old fashioned one physical place i used to think that way some years ago mm-hmm. because i think i was like i said always trying to uh, find some some place where i would feel home and uh, at some point when i was in the us i started thinking i need to buy uh, buy a, a house so then i'll feel grounded and feel this is home you know i'm home is no longer india where i was born and this is home but then after some years you know i kind of decided to move away from there so then i realized no having a physical structure doesn't necessarily make it a home correct yeah. and it actually put you in in having a life as fences literally you know it's like a cage you yeah. literally you know you just destined to be there Yes. You're less flexible to move yeah. around. Um, mm-hmm. So when I when I did a little bit, dig deep a little bit in the research about you and I kept thinking about, you know, um, how could your book look like? Because you mm. have worked in the US, in Silicon Valley. You mm. have worked in India. Actually, you're still working there. And you have worked in, in a lot of different places. Um, but in all kind of different areas as well as project manager, software mm-hmm. developer, mm-hmm. activist, uh, founder of an NGO, a foundation. He had a lot of hats on, different hats on, and a different responsibility, different, completely different areas from software developing over project management, over uh, founder of a uh, foundation as well, looking yeah. more and so on. So then I just gonna summarize all this and it's very t- difficult to summarize even before we looked into the chapter how would you define the title of your book right now because there's so many different aspects from yeah. software development over the <laughs> 90s of working as you worked in intel you worked uh, with visa mm-hmm. then now you started a foundation in india complete different field what do you want that your book should be called hmm Uh you know one I feel one theme that's common uh through my life is about uh contrasts and so I was thinking maybe something uh what could it be like contrasts that shaped me 
I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I'm just thinking loud. Uh, that could be one one title. Contrasts. That shaped so contrasts me, yeah. from different worlds or different sides of like, you know, different areas you have worked in. Yeah, uh, not just work, just experiences in life, I would say, you know, uh, work is part of it. But it's also my uh, upbringing, um, you know, in which I feel like there were a lot of contrasts or conflicting, you know, um, environments that I kind of grew up in. And uh, I feel like I'm still you know, at this stage of my uh, life, I'm trying to bridge some of these contrasts, even when we think about, mm, you know, the, the social, mm, social innovation or social change that I'm working towards. Uh, it's this contrast, right, of this uh, work uh, in the very, very um, mm, high tech industry which is at always the cutting edge of technology in the silicon valley versus you know people who are on the other spectrum of it you know who don't have uh, so contrast of society um yeah the, the, the poverty level from the poverty yeah. level even so that's that's a contrast too right yes. but uh so you know i feel like there are a lot of contrasts uh, in uh, in life that have shaped me, and so that's why I feel like maybe that's. So do you see also this contrast of what you have experienced? Because yeah. it's actually more external as well. A contrast mm -hmm. of, um, as you said, like poverty level or even like mm -hmm. the economy, yeah, countryside economy, etc. Yeah. Um, they indirectly shaped you as well. Yes, very oh, much, yeah. very much. Yeah. So what would I see on the cover? So would I see a contrast, literally, two worlds facing each other from one negative to the positive or positive to negative? Or how, what, what would I see? Because you, you worked in so many different yeah. areas and you mentioned that in, in, in chapters. But what would I see when I, when I see contrast? I just see, for some reason, I see a black and white chess table for one reason. I don't know why, because it's <laughs> a one world and another yeah. world is mixing up with each other. Mm. You know, I don't, so so there are contrasts, but I'm also trying to bridge the gap. So I do see colors uh, on the cover, but I wouldn't them, I wouldn't want them to be so extreme as like black and white, which is, I know the true definition of contrast, but I want somehow for the, what I would want is for these contrasts to blend, you know? So I think the cover should, Somehow represent that. Interesting. Mm -hmm. You mentioned bridge the gap. Yeah, yeah. So literally something which connects both. Yeah, yeah. Is that something? Actually, is that something you tried to emphasize for your work to bridge the gap between both contrasts, both worlds? Um, and I'm just thinking about the foundation you started. We yeah. mentioned that later in details. Mm -hmm. You bring in some of the products also like to the to the other side and is yeah, that something you yeah. tried is that maybe this overall theme yes of the projects yeah you have worked on yeah so you know to kind of uh, what i could do my little bit in terms of reducing say the the inequality the the gaps in um in education 
uh, gaps in you know your standard of living in uh, in the technology that uh, you have access to so you know that's what i want to do that's uh, how much i can achieve in that i don't know but that's definitely uh, the path that i'm on right now yes so so right so that's what i mean by kind of you know looking because uh, i you know i consider myself lucky to be in that position where i can see these two contrasts i mean there's a lot of talk about refugees right now the, the you know the the lives of those versus the lives of the people i know in the silicon valley it's just such a big contrast that it's it's just mind boggling but at the same time you worked in both areas yeah, which is exactly. really fascinating yeah. you never forgot that one side yeah. of thing and Even i wish more were, people uh, would kind of you know uh um, empathize more so that you know the world could because be so many times we try to move away from that one side yeah and once we reach the other side let's say yeah. we think we have reached it yes exactly but actually what you try to do is you reach that side uh -huh. but you kept thinking yeah. you kept working in the other side as well exactly and not in actually trying to support yeah people mention right. that later. and especially in the silicon valley i feel that's what has kept me grounded that's what is that's why maybe uh becoming like financially very successful which i think a lot of people aspire to in the silicon valley uh was not for me the the end you know goal of my being there For a lot of people, well, then why were you in the Silicon Valley if you didn't want to become, you know, a millionaire? Yes, right? exactly. But uh, I think yeah. keeping in touch with the the people who don't have um, have even one tenth of what is there, it's kept me at least grounded, and I, you know, I'm kind of happy about it. So. I want to imagine a specific scenario now. Let's imagine I'm going to in the library. I'm going to find someone there who is working, and I'm asking that person if they have your book. What keywords would I mention? <laughs> would I say uh, I'm looking for a project management advisory book, or is I look for like software developing book? Should I look for like an NGO activist? biography mm. book what what are uh, what keep what would i need to, what, what what would i say what keywords uh, <laughs> maybe a few <laughs> i think definitely uh some something on the lines of a memoir definitely i think um maybe i don't know like something related to life experiences and uh, what about the Okay, so life experience. Let's imagine life experiences. Mm. Where would I then find your book? Would I book? Would I find your book under biographies in general, or under a specific section? Maybe mm. just uh, you mentioned. You know, you're very active in innovation in the past. Also, with an yeah. activist. Where uh, would I find your book in a library? In what section? It can also be more sections. Maybe the book is rep <laughs> it's represented in all kind of sections. Um, um, where do you see yourself best putting that book in in the library? I still think in the biography uh, or autobiography, autobiography uh, sections. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
I don't know if there's any section that talks about social change, uh, but something uh, on those lines as well. Social change is something you always emphasized. Yeah. I remember in the last year we worked yeah. with you. Social change and actually the impact, social innovation, social change. Yeah. Um, when we're talking about the content of the book, you know, the autobiography is something about you, about your mm. life. But when we're talking about what you have done, Mm-hmm. Would you still put yourself in that category? Because social change mm-hmm. is not autobiography itself. You know, that's or, true. Or, yeah, or software developing, project yeah. management, design thinking you have done. Yeah, we're just talking about your project itself. Mm. So that's which category would you put yourself then? Uh-huh. I still think it's more like a. You know, a non-fiction which is about people. Uh, you know, there are all these. Uh, you know, yes, I've done project management. I but I wouldn't say my book would be about. You could call every project. You know, every project of your life a project in that sense. But I, I still think it's more of that kind of. You know, or like an autobiography. Even if not an autobiography, it's just, you know, uh, uh, a book about, uh, mm, about, I think, life experiences. That's what I still think so. And contrast, yeah. Contrast. I opened the book. What do I see? What do I see first when I open the book? Mm. Before I even go to the table of content. A thank you. Who do you thank? Was oh. in your life or in the past life? Definitely my father, who's had, I think, a, a huge influence on me. Uh, my father and my mother. And my family. Yeah. To what extent? To, how are you most thankful to your parents? Uh, for giving me this, this exposure to a life of contrasts. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And for giving me the opportunities that I got, you know, uh, in life, because they were so encouraging. And they were so open to uh, whatever I wanted to do, you know, even though they didn't have a lot of money, and they gave the best education. But it's also the ideas, you know, I think uh, from that perspective, it's also like my father and my mother were also very different contrasts in many ways. Interesting. And uh, so it's, you know, basically the experiences I, I got uh, uh, from, from them, you know, and the opportunities that uh, I got because of them. Giving you the chance actually to experience yeah. all this. Yeah. So... That book wouldn't, you know, have that content without the law from your parents and the, the support you got from them. When you look back now, um, how many chapters would you define your life? Or how many how many life transitions you would say you have uh, experienced in your life? Definitely four. I can okay. think of, uh, 
Broadly, I think four, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. With all the projects you have done so far, I'm actually surprised. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. No, it, yeah, that's true. It could be it could be more, but if I kind of think of uh, how I would kind of uh, the like you said, life changing. So could be anything uh, as you see your you know life or your yeah. work. Actually, it could be also you mm. know all your work you have done, experienced, yeah. uh, you have worked on. Hmm. Four, four to trip. six, uh, four to maybe, six. yeah, okay. because I haven't really thought much about yeah. it. So as I think, I think uh, four might turn into six. So let's jump into it right now with mm -hmm. like the first chapter. So I opened the book, I see the thank you note, especially to your parents. And I see the table of content with five to six chapters roughly. And I see the first chapter. What do you want to have in the first chapter being mentioned? Hmm. You know, I don't necessarily think uh, it's linear, um, but in terms of uh, the topics, I would say the first chapter would be something like uh, um, being a minority in India. Okay. So that's literally what you experienced. Yes. Being minority. Yes. You. Because I think that has uh, impacted uh, me quite, quite a bit. So tell me a little bit more how you experienced the minority um, part. Um, you were born in India. Yeah. Where exactly? And uh, I was tell born... me a little bit more about the like the. Yeah. Um, so I was born and... in Hyderabad. Uh, which is in southern India. Um, and then we moved to Delhi when I was um, I was in class three. And the rest of the time, uh, basically, I grew up in Delhi. Mm -hmm. How do you, when you look back, what are the, the images you see in front of you right now? What are there still some images? You say it was very typical at that time from my childhood, etc. Mm -hmm. Anything specific you remember? Yeah, I mean, living in uh, in really big houses, these government uh, um, bungalows, I should say, because mm -hmm. my father was uh, quite senior in the uh, in the Indian government. Uh, he was a scientist and actually very known in his work. He was a geophysicist. And so we always, when we were in Hyderabad, we had a huge house with lots of lawns, you know, beautiful gardens. And then when we moved to Delhi again, the first few years was, uh, uh, we had to look for our own, some, you know, private homes. Uh, and, and then we once again got a huge bung bungalow. So, so one of the con so there are a lot of contrasts that I can think of. One is just this life of you know, uh, the bungalows always had uh, these uh, what what called servant quarters. So the people who would work in your uh, in your house, right? Uh, there were two of those. So there was a contrast right there. You know, the people who lived in in those, what their lives were, and the people who lived in the bungalow, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so 
I can remember that and I can I was the eldest uh, you know I had three uh, we were three we are three sisters and one brother and I was the eldest so um, I kind of you know helped my mm, sisters and brother with homework with other things so that's a memory that I that I have too with three siblings you actually need a lot of space too yeah and I'm just thinking about <laughs> this actually yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, that house was so big that because Delhi is the you know capital of India, a lot of people traveling um, to Delhi for some reason or the other. It may just be a transit to some other place. But uh, we always had a lot of guests at home. It was almost like one room was uh, was always occupied. It's like an open day, uh, open door. Yes, open my father door was like, he welcomed anybody. And nice. there were times when even he didn't really know those people that well, <laughs> but he would just offer his home, which is something in today's time is hard to believe, you know. But uh, we grew up uh, in that environment. So I have those memories and... Um, But I also have this being a minority, that thing, you know, very early on, uh, because I, I was very young. But when we moved from Hyderabad to Delhi and we were looking for, uh, for uh, homes, um, a lot of times after knowing the last name, you know, people would back out of uh, renting and they would say, oh, it's because you guys eat meat. But it actually comes down to it's because you're a Muslim. You know, uh, in those days, people didn't talk about that because India was um, considered secular and there wasn't that open a discussion or talk about these things as it is today. I think, you know, yeah. uh, but those kind of things stayed with me uh, a lot. Mm -hmm. Many associate the word minority with a negative um, meaning. Do you see that also as a negative meaning? Or do you see this as like just as a fact or as a definition? Yeah, something? I see it as a fact because yeah. th that's what it is. It is yeah. a fact. You, you know, you are part, it could be a religious minority, it could be an ethnic minority, right? Uh, But not necessarily as a negative. No. Uh, just a... Yeah. It should definitely not be a negative, mm -hmm. you know, and so a lot of people, I mean, a lot of, I guess, for political reasons, uh, they're made to feel like a negative, like the Rohingyas right now, right? Uh, but it's definitely not a negative. Mm -hmm. yeah. how, have, how would other people who grow up with you in your childhood describe you? What was this mean like? Uh, <laughs> like someone very curious, someone who can't sit still, always have to move like a nomad, going from one place to another. I don't Quest think, yeah. A good listener asking mm. questions, etc. Yeah. I think uh, people from school would, rem most people from school remember me as this very good student because I was always kind of, you know, the top, one of the toppers. In class, so that's how people, uh, my friends, I think, remember me, and as somebody very, uh, very uh, reliable, a very you know committed friend, a very sincere friend, 
um, they wouldn't think of me as restless, I think. That's what I think. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, I think when I was young, I wasn't that restless. Something, I, I don't know, over the years, I feel like I became more restless. More restless, okay. Mm. So in the first chapter, being minority, um, to what age would that last? To what childhood? Um, does it already end at the childhood? It doesn't, it never ends actually, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because I'm still a minority and I think you made even more uh, uh, about being a minority now than ever before, whether it's in India, whether it's in the US, mm -hmm. you know, that's somehow how things are in the world right now. So I think it always stays, but maybe I, I think about it as the first chapter because that plays an important role throughout my life till, till the present actually yeah it's where yeah. this started and actually yes. not have ended no yeah interesting so uh, yeah and it cannot end because i i don't think there'll be a situation where from a minority i'm no longer a minority yes 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 <laughs> yes you know? um you did study mathematics you had a master in mathematics yes when i've read this i'm I always keep thinking, someone who studies mathematics is very good in numbers. And that's obviously, you know, what proved that you are also a software developer uh, at that time. How much do you love mathematics? How much do you love numbers, data, facts? What, what did you, uh, why did you start to uh, study mathematics yeah. at that time oh. back then? You know, at that time, I think um, I thought I was, I mean, I was good in maths and I found maths more interesting than um, many other subjects. Uh, but I, when I went to college, I realized that uh, the maths you study in school is actually very different. You know, because uh, at the college level, uh, maths is very abstract you're uh, studying uh, real analysis which is quite abstract right so it was for me uh, you know I realized maths is not quite what I thought it was so I actually don't think I'm that good with numbers but I think I uh, it's the analytical part I think I was always analytical and I think that is maybe why I uh, found maths interesting at that time but I also feel uh, as I started studying more of maths I started getting more interested in computer sciences uh, in the logic part of it than the abstract maths mm -hmm. and I wouldn't say that I was really good because I there was this she's still a very good friend of mine who um, who is really a mathematician <laughs> in the core sense and she her passion just grew when she you know uh, was in college whereas for me I started looking at maths as a way to uh, get into computer sciences which wasn't that common uh, at that time you know I'm talking about this is uh, 
long time ago, 1984 is when I went to college. Yes. Right. So, yes. Mm, so it's a very That's different uh, time if you think of computer sciences. Correct. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, so I started moving more towards towards that, mm-hmm. you know, um, and maths, I would say, helped me because when I was uh, even when I say went to the U.S. to study, they didn't ask me to do some of the um, undergrad prerequisites because I had a maths mm. degree. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say that was like to my advantage because I had to work harder. Yes. But uh, definitely, you know, the mindset that you have when you have studied maths for so many years mm-hmm. is uh, is the logic, the way you think, I think, you know, uh, it, it helps you uh, with a certain way of thinking, mm-hmm. which I think has helped me in my professional career. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more the time You mentioned you did study in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit more the transition from India to U.S. Uh, when you did study in India, was mm. it always like one of the dreams or always you know, plans to, to move to the U.S. and to study there as well? Yeah. What was the, can you tell, me, uh, uh, tell us a little bit more about the transition? Mm-hmm. Uh Well, you know, so that, <laughs> that may actually bring in a second chapter. That would be the, okay. That that would be the cut. That would be the end of the first chapter, and the second chapter would yeah, be yeah. The first chapter, I would change. say, I would talk a lot uh, more about uh, some of uh, the things that shape me, which we haven't talked about uh, yet. But maybe I can mention those uh, now. Why you know the title is uh, about contrasts. Okay. So you know some of the contrasts that I um, observed uh, in my early life was, like I said, my father was very different. He was an idealist. Mm-hmm. You know, he was very very brilliant scientist, uh, but wanted to do a lot more for for the world, for his community, and big on uh, social justice. You know, uh, whereas my mother was very practical. <laughs> So uh, she and she came from a very uh, ed- highly educated family, mm-hmm. whereas my father was uh, the first in his family to actually graduate and go abroad and study. Mm-hmm. So one of the inspirations to go to the U.S. to study was that my father had gone to the U.S. Uh, you know, so uh, but also um, what my father taught me, um, which also comes uh, down to some of the contrasts I experienced was He was a scientist, uh, and at the same time, he was deeply religious. His understanding of uh, Islam was very different from what typically people have. Uh, there was a lot of questioning. There was a lot of discussion on Quran, literally the 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 meaning, and it was not like Quran is this sacred book that you just you know put somewhere uh, at the top of a shelf. Uh, so. Th- so this was also very you know kind of like two different worlds because usually somebody who's uh, so scientific is not you know so much into religion uh, but he was and like i had mentioned we lived in a very very elite area this is very high rank government officials live there But at the same time, he was so rooted in uh, uh, the place he came from, which was this old Delhi, right? Uh, um, a completely different culture, a completely different way of life. And he would take us uh, on road trips to rural India, 
which was uh, so different from the you know day-to-day -day life that we had so we were constantly experiencing uh, uh, these you know conflicting uh, realities of of the world which i think uh, uh, you know uh, always had an impact uh, on me yeah. yes one one of the aspects i found really interesting is um is your fight against inequality that's mm -hmm. maybe one of the, also one of the contrasts you know yeah. inequality but also um your many years of experience in advocating for social justice mm -hmm. and human rights yes because indirectly that's also a contrast yeah one party is you know has disadvantages versus another party yeah. and you advocated a lot in uh, or often pre represent presented at universities like mm -hmm. at stanford Yeah. UC Berkeley and UCLA. Yes. So tell me a little bit more about the first years when you moved to the US. Um, mm -hmm. Was that already like um, something you felt really in your DNA to say, okay, this is something I feel like need to be addressed, social justice in general, um, inequality, um, that you really also put your work in there during your study time in the US? It didn't come the first time. So I okay. actually... Uh, um, went to the U.S. I had to go to the U.S. a second time. Okay. So if we come back to the chapters, I would think maybe the the second chapter would uh, would begin somewhere around the time when I, uh, I decide to go to the U.S. the first time, which was after my college mm -hmm. uh, in India. And I know you asked me earlier what uh, what inspired me to go to the yes. U.S. Yes. and uh, Partly uh, my father had studied there, partly because I wanted to do computer sciences and uh, most people in my class, you know, those, in those days, everybody wanted to go and do uh, a management degree mm -hmm. and everybody was studying for these uh, management exams and I didn't want to do that. I just, I, you know, I always had this fascination to travel and so uh, to go to the U.S. to study, that would be a good reason to go to the U.S. Uh, But there is one more reason, <laughs> which, which is about, you know, this, uh, some uh, fascination or this, you know, um, love for a cousin of mine, mm -hmm. uh, who was actually from Pakistan. Again, it's part of, you know, the contrast of life that I experienced. And it was so difficult because of the boundaries, right, uh, between India and Pakistan. Uh, so I used to think, oh, we'll be able to be together in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And that also became one motivation for me. It didn't turn out to be that way. But uh, these were, you know, <laughs> some of the reasons that I, I wanted to go to the U.S. So the different contrasts lead you to think about the current, what are the current political conflicts? Mm -hmm. You know, how does it affect yes. you indirectly with your current, like, relationships, friends, yes. friends yeah. circle? It had a deep impact on me, these boundaries, yeah. you know, uh, between countries uh, where you're so close and you, you, you cannot travel, mm -hmm. you know, um, any sort of communication. This was the era where there were no emails or anything, right? Yes, you had, yes. You, we used to write letters, physical letters. Yeah. <laughs> It would take days uh, to, to reach. And uh, so, so, yeah, um, You know, those boundaries really um, kind of affected me. You know, wh why do we have these boundaries? Mm -hmm. um, and 
till today I have that, you know, um, I'm not in favor of very, you know, strong nationalism because of this, because I feel human beings have always mm, been moving. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so those were the motivations to move to the U.S. And actually going to uh, the social justice, uh, I didn't actually work on that at all uh, when I first went to the in U.S. The beginning. Okay. Not in the beginning, although I did work when I, when I was studying in, uh, in Delhi, mm-hmm. uh, I was at Stephen's. And uh, this was, I think, in 1984, there were very brutal uh, riots against the Sikh community because one of them had assassinated uh, the prime minister then, Indira Gandhi. So, um, so I used to kind of, you know, volunteer, go to some of the camps where, uh, where they were kind of thrown, you know, where they were living. Um, so I used to go with a professor of ours, and I think she also kind of did inspire me in some way to be involved in uh, s- uh, social uh, causes. So I did that when I was in India. I was also part of actually a women's organization, mm-hmm. uh, although I felt very overwhelmed because they were working with rape victims, mm-hmm. you know, and I think I was too young to kind of be able to deal with with all that at that time. But I did that. But when I went to the US the first time, actually, I didn't stay there for too long because I uh, that was my first life changing uh, event. And so, you know, this chap, I think this would be my second chapter. And I think it would be called maybe the uncertainties uh, of life. Uncertainties. Of life. Yeah. Okay. Because, um, so I went there with a plan, right? Whether it was to... What was uh, your plan? <laughs> not, you know, I would... I've never it been a, a great... must be a plan, actually. No, Just I've never a... been a great planner, although. Okay. <laughs> but yes, definitely I was going there for a degree, mm-hmm. right? Um, I mean, you ended up in... in uh, uh, I mean, you, you worked with uh, Stanford as well. Yeah. So, uh, Berkeley, Berkeley as well, I mean, That's all my field. social activism, yeah, social which activism. was much later. So I'm talking okay. about this period, which was in uh, 1990-91 time mm-hmm. frame. At that time, uh, I went to, uh, uh, you know, the University of Florida. And um, in my very second semester, the beginning of uh, the second semester, um, I had a terrible car accident. Mm-hmm. And that changed my life. So, mm, what happened in that? Was like, you yeah, so paralyzed this was, or uh, not completely paralyzed, but I yeah, but uh, I had a lot of injuries. I had a head injury, I had neck injury, lower back injury, uh, because of which I mm, couldn't really. I had to kind of you know drop out of uh, school. So this was my second semester. And uh, I didn't have any money, you know. And where, where was it? Which city? Uh, Gainesville, University Gainesville. of Florida. Mm-hmm. Florida. So that was definitely a big life-changing event for me, okay. um, because uh, it taught me about people uh, in a positive way as well as a negative way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and about how life is in, unpredictable. It can, can end anytime soon as well. It can end anytime yes. soon. I was lucky to have not died. Hmm. Uh, and also you may plan things, but uh, you know, things don't always go the way you planned, uh, you know, and you don't have control over it. So what other uncertainties you had? So, so I can imagine that was one of the life transitions where you realized that, you know, as you mentioned before, life can end anytime soon, but also that I assume many things should not be planned mm -hmm. by ahead. You yeah. Know, we live in the present as well. You should, Did yes. that impact your um, the times shortly after? The um, way you acted, yeah. the way you were like, you know, you continued know, the, study? Yes. So in the beginning, I think I didn't want to accept uh, or I didn't realize how serious the injuries were. And I just, uh, in all that pain and uh, this state of mind, which, you know, I was, I often was in delirium. I didn't know what was, I would, I would pass out. Uh, but I kept thinking, oh, it's just a matter of like a month or two months and then I'll continue and I'll finish my degree. Mm -hmm. It, it took a few months uh, to realize that uh, even then I didn't. I went back to India and I came back in that same, you know, I I was still not well. Mm -hmm. And I came back because uh, I just, the only thing I could think of was, oh, I have to finish this degree. And otherwise, you know, I'll disappoint my, my father and I'll leave it uh, incomplete and uh, things like that, right? And it's slowly after, I think, two years that I started realizing that, uh, you know, you have to live in the moment and you, you can't keep like uh, being stuck at the fact that, oh, no, you know, uh, I was going to do this uh, degree and uh, now I can't. Mm. Uh, so it took, I think it, it took some time, but that was a big life learning for me. Yeah, life learning experience. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about um, the time from studying there over to your first job. To my first job. job opportunity. It Did you end up directly in Silicon Valley no. or how was the, this, what it was the transition? It took some years. Okay, so, so tell me a little bit more how you actually ended up in Silicon Valley. Okay. Because that's something, you know, we're talking about the 80s, 90s. Yes, that time. yes, that's yes. more the time where in Silicon Valley actually right. the IT yeah. were booming or mm -hmm. came slowly. Yeah. So the way it happened was uh, after my accident, I, I came back to India uh, and I realized that, um, you know, I, I couldn't really study because uh, because of my injuries. I was, you know, uh, I was too dizzy. I couldn't walk because of my left leg uh, being injured. And all that so but I needed to get back to life you know to some um, to do something and so what I started doing was um, I I started using my creativity designing clothes mm -hmm. and uh, that kind of led me to uh, if you remember I'd mentioned I had this brand uh, uh, a proper company in in India at that time called Yasmin's Nazakat Mm -hmm. And so I used to, you know, get uh, all, um, you know, hand embroidery done on um, these uh, Indian uh, clothes and have exhibitions 
uh, sell them, uh, which gave me an opportunity to work with women, very poor women, uh, um, you know, artisans in uh, Lucknow and in Aligarh. And I did that for a few years. So I didn't go back to the US uh, after that for some years. And actually, that's again the unpredictability of life that I had come to a point when I thought that, okay, I'm not going to go back. You know, there was this fear of that place, of the whole experience, because I was all alone and very young when this happened. Those were not the days when your phone was even cheap. You know, it was actually very expensive to call uh, India and uh, you didn't have internet or anything like that, right? So for for some years, I was doing my, uh, you know, designing these clothes and selling them. And it was just... I think it was in 1997. So I did this for about five years, you know, um, and just like that, I thought the internet had, had just come, I think. And I thought, how about me writing to my graduate coordinator and asking if I can uh, join the university again after this gap? I had a gap of six years, you know, so I didn't think much. It was just a very um, random decision of writing to my graduate coordinator. And uh, he wrote back. Uh, this was actually 1998, not 97, 98, because everything happened very quickly. Uh, no, maybe 97 end. Yeah, end of 1997. <laughs> um, and he wrote back to me saying he had gone through my file and he was very impressed by the fact that I wanted to come back because he, he wrote, not many people come back to complete their degrees and uh, after what you went through, uh, um, you know, it's very impressive. And he said, uh, just you can join right away. So I think I wrote to him in October and he was asking me to join in the spring semester which starts in, uh, in January. And usually you join in fall. So I thought, <laughs> okay, I'll have a few months to kind of, you know, yes. think about it. Yes. But he, Dr. Dankel, he didn't want, me, uh, want to give me time to think about it. See. Uh, because I think he knew I may change my mind. Yes. So he said, oh, you can join. And so just as abruptly as I had started designing clothes and made it actually a proper business. So that mm -hmm. was my first social entrepreneurship, you could mm -hmm. say. And it was for profit, uh, but it gave me this experience of working very, very closely with very, very poor women, mm -hmm. you know, um, who are doing embroidery with no lights, just street lights, you know, that kind of experience. But then just as abruptly as I'd started that uh, and grown it to be quite, uh, you know, quite successful, I just sent this email and I got this reply back and I thought in my mind that I always had this, you know, this feeling in me that I'd left something incomplete, mm -hmm. uh, that degree. Yes. That used to bother me a lot. Mm -hmm. and. That the fear of that place, because it was actually a very, very bad experience, very isolated, uh, you know, experience of being injured and lying in a room uh, all by myself for months, you know, literally starving. Mm -hmm. um, so to to go back to face that place was a challenge for me mm -hmm. uh, that I wanted to take, you know, so so. 
he said you can join so i just had two months or something and all these years i had not touched a maths book i had not touched any computer science book no nothing mm-hmm. so it did freak me out yes and so i went and did a crash course this was okay. the very early days of you know computer training in india from about uh, 1997 1998 yes Yeah. yeah so i took some crash course in yeah. <laughs> uh, c language or something yes. i think i remember well this was actually the time was where i got my first computer when uh, word 97 came out windows 95 yeah 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 that was good old times <laughs> gosh so i did that crash course and i went to the us so that is where my my second you know you could say homecoming so this mm-hmm. my this this would actually be my third chapter the third chapter would yeah. when you return to yeah. us yeah. after your yeah. uh, social yeah. initiative because that is where my professional career actually started you know okay that's where where your professional career yeah started yeah when you say you that's the time where your professional career started have you ever imagined starting this kind of career because when we're talking about career we're talking about something where we have worked towards you know we had something in mind when we were teenagers we said mm-hmm. i want to achieve this then you're going to study this and you might end up later on hopefully in this job was mm-hmm. that something you always have thought of having no. this kind of <laughs> career i uh, had not no. and the interesting thing is that in these six years uh, computer science uh, uh, the world of computer sciences had changed tremendously You know the first time I went to the US in the early 90s uh we were researching object oriented programming it wasn't there there was no java there was no c++ or anything like that right so that was some of the research going on mm-hmm. and when I went the second time it was all there right in a way it had become easier and which is what you know my professor said to me because i was obviously very nervous after you know going back after so many years and he said in a way it's good because you don't have to catch up on anything uh it's changed so much but uh no i had not really thought about it but but there is one point to it though you know because i had this gap and i went after so many years i knew that uh, the students who were with me back in 91 they had graduated and uh got really good jobs mm-hmm. and they were obviously you know what six or seven years ahead of me right and doing extremely well those were the people who uh defined the early years of this uh, boom time of the silicon valley but still you came there before 2000 Yes. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. In the 90s, yeah. late 90s. But yeah, but you could say I was starting off then exactly. as opposed to I actually happened to meet one one of my classmates who uh, who was interviewing me. I didn't know that, but when I went into the room, I found him and he was kind of taken aback to see me. Uh, uh so, you know, they they were at senior positions that um so it hit me at that time that oh i lost all these years you know uh but but i gained a lot in t- other ways but on the other side you've been thrown in directly into the core area like yeah. in, in silicon valley you work with intel totally as the yeah. software engineer you yeah. work with yeah. intel as a program manager yeah. later on also with visa so yeah. these are not just small companies and multinational no. co- corporations yeah. were literally um i assume you were 
you worked on, on, on large-scale projects. Yeah. So how was that for you, working directly with, uh, with Intel? Yeah. And in Intel is Visa. How was that it time was for a, you? It was a great experience, Intel. I really liked working at Intel because um, the time when I joined Intel, uh, this was just after the Y2K. You know, mm -hmm. the the year 2000. Um, and uh, I, when I joined Intel, the web had started, but, you know, it was in its very early stages. So I kind of uh, managed to get into uh, a group that was, um, uh, that needed a lot of work in web development you know, uh, designing portals, uh, writing software um, for uh, creating portals and document uh, libraries, catalogs. Uh, that's how I started. Uh, Intel also sponsored my visa for my green card, you know, which was very good because Intel was big at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, it's still, it's, it's still big. It's still big, right. yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, it, like those were the t days of Intel, Sun, Oracle, those yes. were the big companies. Yes. And then, you know, they, today it's Google, Facebook. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, so working at Intel gave me a lot of space. Mm -hmm. You know, I had actually interviewed with some startups. Uh, there was this company WebEx, which, you know, WebEx now, right? Mm -hmm. uh, this was when I first went to interview at WebEx. WebEx was just one small room. And they had all these uh, sun systems lying all wow. around when they interviewed me. Wow. And they actually offered me a, a job uh, which was not of a developer, but of, a, uh, of some management position. And the only reason I didn't take uh, the WebEx job uh, was uh, because I only had a few months left on my student visa. And I was uh, kind of nervous about uh, uh, them not being able to uh, do the paperwork. And so so that's the reason I decided to go with uh, Intel. I see. But uh, Intel gave me a lot of uh, space to kind of, you know, find myself. And I started as a software developer and then I moved into uh, more product management, program management role um, because... Um, what I felt was, again, the people's connection, you know, I always liked that. And I felt as a software developer, you were isolated, sitting in a cube and coding the whole day. And uh, I think my manager at that time um, realized uh, that I was good in communication, mm -hmm. uh, in kind of, you know, understanding prob uh, problems and finding solutions. And so she started kind of pushing me uh, and giving me more responsibilities in terms of kind of dealing with, you know, like a team in Israel, which was kind of, there was a lot of friction between that team and our team and, um, you know, trying to do negotiations. So also and my conflict management? Conflict management, yes. very big. Uh, mm, yes, my role in that has always been quite uh, important in, mm -hmm. in my work. Um, um, which also gave me an opportunity to, to travel to, to Israel, actually, uh, which uh, gave me the opportunity to go and visit uh, West Bank, you mm -hmm. know. Um, 
so um, so intel i would say was uh, played a very important part in my career because uh, that's where i transitioned from a software developer to you know program management product management and learned all these um, you know skills or my strengths and you continued working this also at visa yeah and in 2007 you worked as a manager for yeah. finance pub yeah. as well so how was for you in general this work with visa is intel this whole time there in in in, in um, in, in California, how do you experience, you personally experience there? Was it uh, a positive, exciting time or was it also a stressful time? Or was it a time where you, as you mentioned with the contrasts, where you also saw a lot of contrasts? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a very exciting time um because this was the early times of the of the of the web uh, you know this was the time when there was no google and i still remember the incidents where a friend of mine who was working at yahoo uh came and told me oh you know there were these uh, google, google was in its uh, beta uh, uh, I think phase and uh, we, we used to think it's very cool, but it wasn't like everybody was using Google and they'd come uh, to Yahoo to, I think, uh, sell off Google to Yahoo and the deals didn't go through. Mm -hmm. So uh, looking back, it's, <laughs> oh my God, laughable. Uh, but so it was a very, very, you know, exciting time at that time. There was so many new things happening. And, fast pace, uh, I assume, as well, very fast pace. I think the pace increased mm -hmm. over time. When I had just started at Intel, uh, it wasn't uh, so hectic, wasn't so crazy. You did have time. You know, uh, we didn't work very uh, long extra hours because uh, companies were willing to hire. And then slowly it started changing where I think companies thought, uh, could do away with, you know, less people and more productivity with those people right so it started becoming more and more stressful mm -hmm. uh, it was the same when i joined visa it was uh, in the, the first few months was uh, was very cool visa was a very rich this was visa usa when i had joined it was visa was uh, you know there wasn't one visa inc company there were these different entities uh, uh, across the globe and so it was a rich company. So, so it was a very kind of, you know, uh, nice time at uh, Visa. They had these lovely, uh, um, this lovely cafeteria with uh, great food and <laughs> all that. It was a long commute for me, mm -hmm. but, uh, but it was uh, fun to be there. But it changed very quickly because that was the time when Visa... Uh, decided to go public mm -hmm. and when all these entities were gonna come together to become Visa Inc. So my so there was a lot of anarchy at that time in the sense that uh, the management was changing. So they were letting go the top management one by one, right? So there was a time when I didn't have a boss or a, a boss to a boss's boss. It was just, you know, mm -hmm. uh, strange, but uh, that's how it was at that time. And uh, some of my work was uh, around integrating, you know, the the from a web perspective, uh, these different entities, um, the back ends uh, as well as the front ends. Uh, so that was uh, that was Visa. So and when you you mentioned about this was also. 
the time were, I mean, obviously the time we worked in, in California, but you mentioned about this was also the beginning of the third chapter. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just listened to you, what you mentioned about this were the exciting, the booming time. Mm -hmm. It was a new world. Yeah. Uh, great learning, uh, great um, learning experiences, learning curves as well, but also later on a little bit stressful times. Mm -hmm. When you give it a name, this third chapter, what is it? Is it is it actually ending at that time? Is it the the time where um, would you say the third chapter is all about your experience in in, in the U.S. In, and in California and your work? Yeah, there? I think it's in the Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley. I would say yeah, it it would be about life in Silicon Valley. Life in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Okay, and then it would be a subtitle. Then the third chapter would have a subtitle. Um, well, how would you define it? How would you define it in terms of how you f felt it? I can see in your f in your face right now it was an mm -hmm. exciting, booming time, but yeah. it was in the end of it was a stressful time yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. So, how would you summarize it? I mean, if it would be a subtitle. Uh, those were the the <laughs> you know the time in Silicon Valley is also. The first half is all this very rosy, booming time, you know, where uh, I had uh, I had good jobs, I had uh, money, I would go shop, <laughs> you know, um, just have have a good life in this beautiful, um, um, you know, Cal uh, Bay Area, mm -hmm. right? And then 9/11 happened, mm -hmm. uh, and and things changed. And my minor being a minority came up right, uh, uh, you know, hit me on my face again. Um, um, and that's around the time you could say also when things started becoming more stressful in terms of, you know, your uh, working longer hours. Um, I think this happened, I would say, even a little later. I mean, 9-11 happened in 2009. Uh, one, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think the work culture changed uh, more a little later. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You talked about in your title about contrasts, and actually, I see a huge contrast in this your yeah. beginning and the end as well of yeah. living and working yes. in Silicon Valley. Yeah, the contrast between the exciting more positive times yeah. versus then the more stressful times were. Yeah. It's also a change in the work culture. Yeah. It's, a it's a contrast in this field as well. Yes. Not just more from the political side of things as well. Yes, the work culture changed. Yes, definitely. And I heard that from many friends, you know. Uh, so what happened What happened then? So you worked at Visa. Yeah, I worked. Till 2008. Yes. And what happened then? Ah. Uh, you know, was then it the I, last year of Silicon Valley? <laughs> no, it wasn't the last year. Okay. Uh, what happened then was uh, another thing that, uh, that has uh, occurred again and again, which was I had another car accident. Okay. And uh, it brought back some of my old injuries uh, because of which I had to kind of leave visa. Okay. Um, and uh, but that's the time when I got a call from from NetApp and I wasn't actually looking for a job at that time but I had posted my resume you know on the um, uh, job sites and I just got a call because I was going for physical therapy and that's what my focus was at that time but I got this call from NetApp 
for a consulting position. Mm-hmm. And I really liked the manager I met. And that turned out to be actually also a very good time uh, for me work-wise. Because um, my manager, Zan, she had this project which was very open-ended. So um, she hired me to explore NetApp's customer portal uh, because it was it had grown organically. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they didn't even have a document management system. And there were um, there was a lot of content, but it was very difficult to find content. Uh, you didn't know who the owners were. It was a big mess. Mm-hmm. And so she just gave me a lot of freedom to figure everything out and to and, get structure. Uh, to there. get a structure, mm-hmm. uh, we started working on defining a vision. I see. So uh, from the ground up, literally, yes. to finding a vision. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, I've, after doing all this research on the different uh, web entities and uh, the what the back end was, we came up with a, st- a vision and a strategy uh, for the f- for both the front end as well as the back end, which, you know, a lot of changes that uh, we recommended uh, um, all across. So it... Uh, it ended up being a big, ambitious project uh, for which we didn't get funded at that time because that led to the recession uh, time, uh, mm-hmm. which was 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, 2009, yes. right? Really bad time. So unfortunately, that project kind of had to be halted. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's... This is the time when I think some of my uh, this you know honeymoon period of the Silicon Valley is was kind Appropriately of entered uh, coming yeah. to an end. It mm-hmm. hadn't, but that was my first exposure to it when I started thinking. So I had time because mm-hmm. there were really literally no jobs available. Mm-hmm. So I was without a job, and I decided to travel to India at that time. Going back to India. Going back yeah. because this thing about, you know, the work that I'd done with women, with handicrafts, with handcrafts, mm-hmm. uh, used to keep coming back to me. But uh, you haven't worked on this since your time uh, no. while you were working with Intel, Visa, etc. You not haven't at all. touched it at all. Nothing. I had so not touched it. you put it on, on ice yeah. or did you end it up before you uh, I'd ended it up. Uh, completely. Bef- okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, before I went, I mean, you know, my family continued for, for a year because there was a lot of inventory. So they mm-hmm. tried to sell it off. But yes, from my perspective, once I moved to the US, that just came to an end. Mm-hmm. Uh, that company, everything. Uh, so, but it used to, you know, it, it was always in the back of my mind that I had just abruptly, you know, left all that. And I would similar to what you told before, you know, you when you went back to US to finish yes. something. Yeah. So is it something? Yeah. Huh. You can't finish. You can't end something which is not half finished. Is that something like this? Is something yeah. because you when you just mentioned, you know, you ended something in India. Yeah. Or you felt it hasn't reached that end. Yeah. You were like literally forced indirectly. You know. Yeah. I to end it. Is that something you always feel like um, you have to finish certain things? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and not like being forced externally to finish mm-hmm. it? Yeah, yeah. So when you go back to India, did you have the feeling that, okay, I have to continue something? Yeah. Continue this? 
See, I always felt so. I always felt that uh, you know, with uh, with everything that I have, I should give back to uh, the society, mm-hmm. you know, where I came from. And I often thought of those women that I used to work with, right? So, um, but I didn't know how to get back to it. So, because I had time at that time, I came back to India. I again, kind of, you know. Um, bought a lot of things from artisans. I don't think I was thinking from a business perspective or, or anything like that. It was partly just the just impact fun in life and the, yeah, for them. yeah, for them. And I was thinking, oh, how can I once again, like it's going back to kind of trying to bridge the gap. I was thinking, oh, if I could, you know, sell um, these products in the US and uh, um, build more awareness of these, you know, handcrafted products and and the artisans, the people who are making them, that would be uh, nice. So Mm -hmm. I had not thought too much about it. But when I was in India, I just kind of, you know, picked up a lot of stuff. And I brought it uh, back to the US. Uh, But that was a very bad time to try any... You're talking about which year? 2009. 2009. Yeah, you know, yes, the yes, economy yes. was uh, mm-hmm. in bad shape. And so I this was an interesting experience. I, you know, a, a, a software, uh, high tech IT person going to boutiques shop by shop, uh, acting like a salesperson and trying to sell these things in a very, very bad market and so some of them would just say you know they 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 look interesting but we simply can't take any risk we are just struggling to keep our shops open Mm -hmm. how did you feel at that time did you feel like you you can't have people back in india which you promised to support yeah or how did you feel at that time because you you know literally there was no market to sell it but did you feel like you you had to promise something i had not I had not really promised, uh, so it was more an exploration. Okay. But at the same time, I, I, I was wishing, I was hoping that something could come out uh, with it because I mean, and I still feel that you know I want to do something for the artisans, but I'm not able to. So that's the same feeling I had back then as well. Um, that. Uh, Maybe I'm not realistic about it, uh, and it is a very difficult task. Mm-hmm. Many people have tried it, and uh, so it keeps coming to me because I've seen their lives, and um, you know, uh, it's it's really hard. And again, it's it's a contrast, right? Because in today's world, this handwork, it's it's a lot of effort. It has a lot of history. Uh, the you know this culture. Uh, yet it's very difficult to compete with uh, with automation, right? But even the handcrafted work, um, yeah. regardless of all the tradition behind, sadly enough, it's not being valued enough today. No. It's more about the material itself, but not who is actually um, producing it yeah. and the story behind. And I think right. this is what also what I found very interesting in your work in the last uh, years. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not trying to just... As you you actually mentioned this, uh, bridging the gap, you're actually putting, you're raising the story of the people who are currently, you know, producing um, handcrafted mm-hmm. uh, items. You're trying to raise that, that other people know more about what are the current life conditions. Yeah. Uh, under what conditions they currently work. 
um, and connect that um, with a product, with mm -hmm. a brand. Yeah. And I think this is very interesting because nowadays many don't know what they're actually buying and how it's being produced and why you should pay a little bit more or why you actually, you know, should buy this. What do you actually impact? So do you see yourself, you not just bridging the gap, you're also giving power to the consumer to make a change? Yeah, definitely. If we could achieve that power. See, I think consumers have a lot of power these days. Uh, but um, what are the tools we're giving to empower them, I think, is uh, important. You know, for example, uh, environmental, um, you know, conditions uh, seem to have an impact on a lot of people, right? Climate change. So it's about the branding um, and um, letting the consumers know, right? Giving them more information, which will empower them to make uh, decisions or become uh, better consumers, you could say, right? So for... I think uh, hand products are facing a great challenge right now because that's what my experience has been uh, from uh, from those years in 2009-10 as well as recent with the scarves, right? The price, it's very difficult to compete with the machine-made things. Uh, and so I think the only way uh, you can is to build more awareness about what goes into these hand products. Right, which is the story of the the people, the story of the the craft itself, because they do have a lot of uh, story. So that can perhaps you know uh, make the consumers think of the price in a different way, as it not just being a, a tag in say dollars, uh, right? They think of what has gone into it. Uh, I think that's, that's right. very important. Otherwise, I feel it's a it's a very hard struggle for handcraft uh, in today's world. Mm -hmm. yeah. I know mean, nobody's even the word hand, handcraft mm -hmm. has not that um, it's not been that highlighted to mm -hmm. that extent that there's a lot of work going in. There's a lot of expertise, experience yeah. of years of years of decades for all traditions. It's not about mm. handcraft as it's as you cannot yeah. easily copy it. You need a lot of experience in this field as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can you not replace for a machine. And this is very important, I think, yeah. to mention. I wanna focus a little bit more on something else you have founded. Mm -hmm. On the foundation for equal citizenship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when I when I just listen to what you said before, you know, I keep hearing words like bridging the gap, minority, inequality, contrast. Mm. And all these words have exactly the same in the in this in, in, in the foundation you started. Foundation mm -hmm. for equal citizenship. Yeah. Inequality fight mm -hmm. with equal citizenship. Equal equality. Yeah. And you you have as um you also um, mentioned about this in, in this foundation you're saying this is an equal rights uh, entitlement empowerment mm -hmm. what was the starting point when you started this foundation was it bridging the gaps between uh, these two different worlds who do you or who do you wanted to empower when it comes to this um, equal citizenship yeah, so it is, you know, about bridging gaps, uh, bridging gaps in uh, in education, in in culture, in uh, 
you know, materialist things as well. Uh, all sorts of uh, gaps because again, you know, uh, living in the Silicon Valley um, and uh, then traveling to, um, you know, back home, uh, India, uh, not far from uh, where where I live over there, there's a slum, you know, Trilokpuri, um, which has a lot of minority po- population and also has a lot of, uh, you know, lower caste uh, Dalit um, so it's it's such a contrast, uh, you know, the the world uh, in the Silicon Valley uh, where you're thinking of, um, you know, spaceships and spe- spending billions of dollars for something that just bursts and it's gone and it's no big deal that you, you know, those billions of dollars just went away where, uh, and you come to this place uh, in Delhi itself, which is the capital of India. Um, and there were, you know, kids who uh, drop out of school in class five, um, who who don't know what they want to do in life. They they have no goals, no aims. Uh, very poor, some of them. Even though they live in Delhi, you know, the living conditions are appalling. So yeah, um, I would like to do my bit, and at least if I could, I feel uh, even make a difference to the lives of say, ten kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and see them go uh, and get some good education and uh, be able to think innovatively. Yes. See, it's the it's the mind. They don't get the opportunities or the education where they can think uh, critically. I think this is also what you're trying to connect, the innovation part mm-hmm. with the empowering part. So when did you start the Foundation for Equal Citizenship? When? Um, in 2015. 2015. See, uh, what happened was uh, in 2015, early 2015, January, I joined uh, as a consultant, I joined a university in Delhi, um, uh, Jamia University, which also has a, a huge minority population. <laughs> so it keeps <laughs> going back to that. Uh, but they are, you know, some of the underprivileged people uh, of the country, right? So that university was starting a center for innovation and entrepreneurship. And I met the vice chancellor and I was telling him that, uh, you know, I've taken a break from the corporate world uh, and um, I'm looking for some, you know, something to do in India. But because I've been out of India for so long, I it's a little difficult. So I'm trying to find my feet on the ground. And he said, oh, we're starting the center. and." Uh, I didn't mention this, but you know, my job after NetApp was when I was at EMC. I I was uh, part of this um, organization which was working on innovation in customer um, customer services. Mm-hmm. So you know, uh, there's a lot of kind of thinking around innovative ideas and using uh, you know predictive and uh, and uh, analysis and stuff like that. So. Uh, the VC thought it would be, you know, good for the university if I could uh, join them as a consultant uh, because they were just starting off. So that gave me an opportunity to engage with youth. Something that I had not, I mean, I'd done a little bit in uh, in the Silicon Valley mm-hmm. uh, through my social activism mm-hmm. with, you know, students at Stanford, Berkeley, quite a lot actually. Uh, but 
This was a different experience because this was uh, working with students from um, technical background, from social background, not activists as mm-hmm. such, but uh, students who had some ideas who, you know, because even in India, there is uh, these days this charm of the Silicon Valley and people wanting to, to innovate and become entrepreneurs. So there were actually some students who graduated and didn't take a job because they had ideas and they wanted to pursue those ideas. And some of them actually are, you know, kind of in the um, incubation stage and actually moved ahead also. Mm -hmm. So I got to work with some of these students, you know, which uh, which made me think, oh, um, how about I start my own foundation? And if I could work with even more underprivileged Mm -hmm. Uh, kids uh, and maybe you know some of the women maybe in the future uh, that would be nice and ideally I would like to see how I could also kind of combine my skills with uh, with you know with people uh, who I want the social change for with my technical you know um, um, knowledge that I have I haven't been able to do that because you need some money you know for uh, things uh, but I would like to kind of you know be able to do that mm. in in this foundation um, in, in the last one and a half year you told me a lot of lovely stories you had with the kids mm-hmm. very lovely stories mm. um, one thing which I really um, keep remem- remembering is that you teach them skills which are important later on in their life like English but mm-hmm. even storytelling like yeah. filmmaking but also give them kind of a place to feel home yes um, from this from this years the last two three years where you started this what are the, the memories you are this there are certain like um, memories you can't forget with the kids, are there like moments where you say, this was a moment worth founding this foundation? Uh, yeah, I think one of the first was this um, summer camp. Yes. That was the beginning, actually. I you started, yeah, yeah, summer camp. Uh, I started a summer camp. Uh, this was um, two years ago in a really hot summer. <laughs> okay. Uh, June, June of uh, 2016. Yeah. Because I was like wondering, oh, how do I start? How do I start? So uh, because I had worked at Jamia uh, University, I hired a couple of students who had done masters in early childhood development. Mm-hmm. And so we did some brainstorming sessions. So um, that's when I was just starting. We didn't have a place or anything. And we discussed, oh, what should we do first? How to kind of even engage with the community, right? Never really been there. So we did a summer camp and uh, these uh, young uh, guys went literally door to door knocking, you know, in this uh, slum. And uh, and then the, the kids uh, started coming. And uh, so we did many different kinds of activities with, with them and their excitement and uh, you know some of them uh, they were doing public speaking for the first time but the confidence which the, with which they were speaking with a mic and everything you know that was like uh, uh, really very inspiring and that's kind of uh, how 
this foundation's work really started. So after that, I took a, you know, I started renting a, a, a room um, or a hall and uh, started having regular classes. So there was another incident where um, we were invited, uh, the organization's kids were invited uh, um, to participate in a marathon. But only uh, three or four kids were, you know, allowed, mm-hmm. right? So these, there were like 15 or 20 kids. Uh, and so we had to kind of make them run and practice. And then we had to pick four of them. Right, only four of them. So the ones who didn't get selected, just seeing their, you know, the disappointment in their eyes, it was like so heartbreaking. Yes. <laughs> for them, you know, that's what we realized these small things for them to be able to go out, you know, for an excursion is such mm-hmm. a big thing. Um, so these these kind of just small small observations with the kids uh, when you mentioned about the small things what do you want them what life lessons do you want them to teach uh, what do you want them to say ahead of their life what do you want them to be prepared you life? know one thing i've noticed is most of them do not have any goals or uh, expectations from their lives when they are young. Uh, nothing at all. So I want them to be able to uh, to dream and to think that they can also, uh, you know, achieve something in their life and to think about what they want to do. Because this is a repeated pattern I've noticed that they, they think, oh, I'm just going to drop out of school. And the, the older ones are still thinking about something they want to do. But at a young age, I would want them to have the confidence to think that they can you know achieve something in life and that they should think about uh, achieving something in life or you know having some, some goal. I know it's a kind of tricky thing because sometimes if you have uh, uh, unexpected goals and you can't achieve them then that's also very frustrating and bad for you but i feel like being completely aimless is uh is not in the end of the day even regardless of you have a goal which is unreachable or a goal which is reachable Mm -hmm. you work towards yes to a certain extent you understand that it might be not reachable to that dimension yeah but you have a goal you're working yeah. on, you're getting up in the morning and you're actually yeah. very excited to take the next step. Yeah. But when you don't have a goal, which yeah. is maybe resonating with your personal mm-hmm. ambition, passion, yeah. dreams, then you're not living mm-hmm. your life. You're not f- working on yourself. Mm-hmm. You're not want to improve mm-hmm. because for what reason? And I think this is maybe related to what you mentioned. Many kids nowadays, they have dreams, they love working mm-hmm. on even the, the biggest dreams and um, mm-hmm. un, uh, unreachable goals, but they still believe in them. Yeah. But especially when you take these dreams away from children, mm-hmm. children are not growing anymore. Yeah. They're just living day by day mm-hmm. and not planning ahead. And I think this is something which I found really inspiring with what you're doing with your work, with the foundation. You're giving them actually not just hope mm-hmm. and soft skills or hard skills, you actually mm-hmm. give them 
a plan, a plan, a guidance, mm. a path to walk on. What direction they go to, that's mm. totally up to them. Yeah. But a, a, a path, yeah. um, a solid path. And the thing mm. is, this is important mm-hmm. in all, all, all childhood development. And that's what I, 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 um, when I looked online a little bit more, that's what you're trying to connect. You're not just mm-hmm. empower them, you connect them with technology, innovation, yeah. which is needed in the future mm-hmm. too. Yeah, and I think this is where your work from Silicon Valley mm-hmm. comes in there as well. Plus your work, uh, life experience with the inequality. Mm-hmm. You're trying to connect technology innovation yes. with inequality yeah. in certain areas, mm-hmm. but for younger generations. Yeah, because I think you have to start early. What I realize, a lot of uh, Indians look up to the Silicon Valley, and they, you know, they don't realize the. Um, you know how tough it is or it's not you know you think you're going to innovate and it happens and somehow the uh, the way uh, education is structured in India I feel it doesn't make you think uh, independently uh, which is I think a very important uh, part of being able to think uh, you know be innovative right Uh, it's lacking uh, and so I, I feel you have to start early on like at Jamia what I felt was if you start uh, t- trying to train them to be innovative when they're in college it's late right so you have to start early which is why a lot of people uh, ask me why are you working with kids of you know this age five six seven uh, instead of like you know mm, 15 or 16 because it's easier to measure your success when you're working with students who are about to go to college you can have a goal okay our goal is for whatever 70 percent of the students to get to college whereas at a younger age it's very difficult to define your goals Uh, Mm but I feel that's the, like, if you don't have the foundation, that is what is lacking, uh, you know, in uh, kids who come from underprivileged mm. families. They don't go to schools that give them that training. Right? Yeah. And the confidence as well. And the confidence, yeah. that's very important. Yeah. yeah. Is that the chapter four? Is that the chapter four? When you say chapter three is about living in Silicon Valley, is chapter four about going back yeah. to India? Um, founding this foundation? Yeah. Uh, you know, I was thinking, uh, yeah. Is this a, the say. part journey? So literally leaving the US and going mm-hmm. back? Is that yeah. the, the whole part of the chapter four? Yeah. Roughly? Leaving the, um, in a way you could say leaving the Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You is know, that the, also what you would uh, name it? Or would, is it more yeah. like the, the work you actually have done with your foundation, that mission and vision? of empowering mm. the underprivileged children as well, giving the confidence, um, trust. How yeah, is... I think uh, instead of leaving, I wouldn't say leaving the Silicon Valley would be the title. Uh, Arriving. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. I wouldn't say I've left the Silicon Valley forever. Yes. You know, uh, because uh, in in many ways, it is a home for me. Yes, I, I've uh, grown, you know, as a person uh, mainly because of my um, experiences in the Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. right? Uh, um, but uh, yeah, what would it be called? Um, social change? I don't know. You question? You ask me? Yeah. Is that social change? Yeah. Maybe it should be. Maybe it's a it's a chapter with a question mark because social change. It's always intended. Yes. 
Yeah, yeah, social change question mark. Yeah, that's what I mean. Because the, the change has not have been implemented. Right, I guess, because right. you put the seeds in there. Yeah, yeah, sure. exactly. It's that's what I want to do, but, um, you know, it's a learning experience for me too. So when right. you put this question mark on this, and I, I want to look in the, in the end of this podcast a little bit more into the next chapters, the mm -hmm. not yet where you can talk mm -hmm. about it, which you plan. Mm -hmm. What will be the next chapter look like? You know, I'm thinking, I don't know, it might be the last chapter, okay. which could be uh, global citizenship. That doesn't mean that you're gonna stick to one place. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of the It theme means... of uh, uh, of my life. But uh, why uh, why I say global citizenship is that in some way I've been aspiring for that as well. Um, you know, sticking to one place, like I said uh, in the beginning. Uh, I really wish there weren't these stringent boundaries because, uh, see, one experience of the Silicon Valley uh, as it has evolved, the uh, the industry over there, uh, it's very borderless, right? The technology is very borderless, right? It's global and um, communication is uh, beyond borders for sure. But we still have very stringent physical borders when it comes to countries, right? And uh, I, I wish we could all be global citizens, where we, you know, we didn't have to stick to uh, one place to uh, to define one oneself. Yes. And that would, I think, at a global level, right now, there's a lot of talk about inequality, right? There, there's. Um, uh, a lot of talk about migrants. These are some of the pertinent problems of our time. Climate change. All these issues require one to think globally, mm -hmm. right? Because uh, if each country, which is unfortunately what is happening right now, each country is kind of wanting, not each country, but definitely in the US, they want to close borders. Correct. Right? Yeah. Uh, but uh, to, I want, to, want it to be the... The opposite. I mean, yeah. nowadays, even if you think globally, you will be limited based on where you come from. Yeah. And that's a limitation by itself. Yeah. Even if you think globally, if you act, uh, yeah. if you, you know, work internationally, mm -hmm. you will be always limited based on where you come from mm -hmm. or national, national uh, citizenship. Yeah. I think this is uh, one of the aspects where many... see the, the the biggest uh, burden not burden but biggest problems mm -hmm. being defined based on where they come from yeah and what, what it says in their passport yeah and yeah. that limit themselves yeah. automatically already right um global global citizenship interesting mm. yeah Because I think it will be, maybe, because I'm thinking it might be the last chapter, it will be a lot of reflections, I think, and my thoughts mm -hmm. uh, about some of, uh, you know, the previous chapters. Uh, and and that's why I, I feel like this uh, title would fit well. Perfect. Mm -hmm. In each book, there is also a copyright section. Mm -hmm. All rights reserved, don't copy, <laughs> please contact book oh. publisher XYZ 
are there any parts in your life where you don't want other people to copy? <laughs> where no. you say, you should not do that. That's what <laughs> I did, but better don't do that. You know, like... <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Uh, you know, everyone everything. can copy you. Everyone, everyone can do can exactly the same things with you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've made a lot of mistakes. Uh, do you want others not um, to do that? I think it's always a learning experience, right? You learn from your mistakes. But if some people can read uh, read my book and think, "Oh, we shouldn't have done that," uh, that's that's is there fine. Any particular <laughs> moment in your life where you said? This is important for you to know, but please don't do it. Don't copy it. <laughs> like anything we have in mind right now? Uh, Because, you know, I mean, we can learn also. Of course, we learn from experience, but we also mm -hmm. learn from other people to say, you should not do that. Like, put your hand in the fire. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would not teach you by in a, on a practical yeah. side of things, you know. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> yes. Mm, like what I did in 2009, I bought all this stuff worth a lot of money okay. <laughs> in a really bad economy okay. <laughs> and uh, although I did exhibitions uh, and tried to sell uh, this there's still some stuff like you are stuck with some scarves too yes <laughs> I would say uh, you know maybe not uh, sometimes I feel like I, I make reckless decisions I didn't think I don't think too much about them You and just act. Uh, I just act. You mentioned before, actually, I wrote it down. I get things done. Yeah. You just also just yeah take and action immediately. Sometimes it was the same in uh, founding the foundation. Mm -hmm. There's some people who felt like I was going too fast with it. Mm -hmm. That uh, I should have maybe just joined some existing one or I should have thought more about, uh, mm, you know, uh, there are two, three different ways of... Uh, mm, structuring it or, or registering it right and that I, I went too fast with it and uh, they do have a point and uh, maybe if I thought more about it I may not have uh, you know gone uh, into all this uh, official process so so quickly so so yes there are many incidences in my life where I I just wanted to get it done <laughs> and I, you know, you're not very patient. That's what yeah, I. Yeah, sometimes I'm not. Uh, yeah. I would say I don't know. It's not always the case. A lot of people would think I'm very patient, yes. but there are times when I, I think I'm too keen to get something done. Then I'm not patient, and I mm -hmm. just want to get it done. Okay. Yeah. Great. Um, in the last uh, part of this podcast, I want to know a little bit more about where can people find more about you. What is the in in the book section under references? Where can they find more about you? Oh, hmm. <laughs> online. If I they, mean, online. What? Well, what, is you it, know, um, I don't really have uh, any uh, website uh, for my own self per mm -hmm. se, but definitely about the your foundation. Work? I mean, I mean, I mean, uh, that's what I mean. Yeah, the, definitely the your, foundation. Your, your work itself. So, yes. Uh, foundation for Equal Citizenship org. Right, uh, that will give uh, a lot of information of what we're doing with that right now. How can people and best support you on this as well, on the foundation? Is there something uh, in particular you're also looking for support from external, from people outside? Yeah, that would that's something I'm really uh, trying to. I'm trying. Uh, you know, I would like this to also be collaborative because uh, in my work, I've always worked in a very collaborative environment. 
but uh, in the, with the foundation, it's been a bit of a challenge to mm-hmm. uh, to uh, build collaborations. Uh, and so, if I if I could say, like you know, social innovation, if if just some things as simple as coming and doing workshops for kids, if I could find some some organization with whom I could just you know. Uh, collaborate to do a few workshops that would be a big help of course financial help is a big thing um, and I'm hoping that uh, by early next year I'll have um, I'll have the permit to get foreign funds uh, and it might make it a little bit easier because like I said you know I've talked about global uh, being global a lot and uh, it would be very nice if I could uh, collaborate with some you know organizations that are outside India also and, and they could uh, you know give provide a great platform and experience to these kids mm. so this website is also a foundation for equal citizenship website is also the best place for you for the audience to reach out to you as well the contact details yeah. or or uh, LinkedIn on LinkedIn. Yeah. Okay. Where can they find you? So LinkedIn. Uh, normal. It's with normal. My full name, Yasmin Fatima. Okay. Right. Um, yeah. Are you on Twitter? No. No. You know, it's uh, it's <laughs> ironical that I come from a very uh, techie background. Yes, that, that's and, actually what uh, I thought too. And I'm uh, not actually that active on social media uh, mm-hmm. anymore. I used to be very active on Facebook uh, in my uh, activism days. But over a period of time, I, I've i become kind of apprehensive of... Uh, so I know it's very powerful, social media, and uh, um, I should probably use it more uh, to um, promote my foundation. But I have a Twitter account for the foundation, but it's not very active. Uh, <laughs> so... We're there on Twitter, but like but more I said, the website. For yeah, the more the website Best. for now. Yeah, perfect. Wow, that was a long, long talk. Oh, over one hour, fifty minutes. Oh. A long conversation. Yeah. and I'm pretty sure. And to be honest, I could have talked with you way, way longer. Uh-huh. Each chapter, only four chapters. Yeah. Plus the future plan chapter could have so many sub chapters. Yes. To be honest, I think and so. And I could yeah. have. Uh, dig much deeper into all these details mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure there will be like a, a second version of the book as well to dig a little bit deeper in specific chapters mm-hmm. um, yeah Yasmin I think that was an amazing talk thank you so much thank you again and one of the things which I was really impressed is about and I keep hearing this about bridging the gap mm-hmm. contrast inequality yeah. So in the very end, I just want to hear your definition of what do you understand under inequality? When I would say, write down your own definition of what is inequality. How would you define it in one, two, three sentences? I think uh, I would define more uh, inequality in terms of the uh, opportunities uh, that are not available to uh, to people who don't have the you know the privileges that many others do uh, and I've yeah that's what I would define the mm-hmm. opportunity the lack of opportunities 
and even the impact of that and, i guess yeah what and is the, the impact and that yeah. that that is what causes the the impact as well mm-hmm. great yeah. thank you so much thanks jasmine for taking thanks, the time Sabine. and thanks so much for taking that such a long time <laughs> i have one hour over one hour 50 minutes for the interview Oh boy. <laughs> Thank you so Thank much. Thank you again, uh, Daniel. And I hope you keep going with this. It's a great idea. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Yasmin. Thank you. Thanks. So here we are. This was Yasmin Fatima. And to know more about Yasmin or to reach out to her, you can find more information on her website on www.foundationforequalcitizenship.org on her foundation website. So please leave some comments. What do you like on this podcast? Who else do you want to hear? Chapters of My Life podcast is all about connecting the dots, which already exist there. When we look back in life, often we think we haven't achieved anything. But all parts, all life transitions, they lead to a personality, to the personality you are today. It's all about connecting the dots. And that's why Chapters of My Life podcast is all about so please leave some comments, send me some f- feedback. Who else do you want to hear? What do you want to change? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at ByDanielLudwig. I hope you enjoyed the show. Never give up, always look up. <laughs>